Hello, everyone, and welcome to the No Capes Needed podcast, the official podcast for the Women's Health Collaborative. My name is Faye Kai, and I'm going to be your host for today. Today, I have with me Dr. Jane Van Dis. She is the co-founder and CEO of Equity Quotient, as well as Times Up Healthcare, and also the medical director at Maven Clinic. Thank you, Dr. Van Dis, for coming onto this podcast, and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So Dr. Mandis, what I've been telling people um, about the podcast itself is that it's been very interesting for me and I'm sure for our listeners to hear about some of your pathways to how you became interested in women's health and how you came to where you are today. So I guess I just wanted to start off with that. Um, What brought you to women's health and how did you get to where you are? Sure. Well, I got to women's health because I loved to operate. And if I was going to do general surgery, I thought I really wanted to do vascular, but it was a really long fellowship and I also wanted to have a family. So I thought uh, that OBGYN was a great way to be a surgeon uh, while also having a four-year residency. Um, I was really fascinated by the pathology of the pelvis. I loved ovarian tumors. Um, I loved the variety of... uh, obstetrics, gynecology, and clinic. Um, And it gave me a place to put my activism as well in terms of standing up for for women's reproductive rights and things like that. So all around, it just was a perfect fit. That's awesome. You know, one thing that has been kind of a running theme, I think, of the other women that I've interviewed for the podcast is that they are in academia, they're researchers. And I just wanted to ask you because, you know, you're your co-founder and CEO of, of, of Equity Quotient and Times of Healthcare. So I just wanted to ask, how did you go down that pathway and how did you become involved in that? Yeah. So, well, I had a Me Too moment in healthcare myself and it prompted me to really want to create something that was real, that was tangible, and that I thought could really help to make our workplaces more equitable. I wanted to create something uh, that I could show my daughter and could could demonstrate to her that I had tried to make the workplace better for her generation, not knowing if she would go into medicine or not. Of course, she's only 12. Um, but I needed to create something tangible. I needed to not just be able to talk about the importance of equity in healthcare, but I needed to actually create something. And so I met Dr. Esther Chu in the summer of 2017, and she kind of had the same goals that I did, and we formed Equity Quotient. And right when we were ready to to launch our company, uh, we also got invited to attend a conference uh, sponsored by Time's Up, and the conference was awe-inspiring. It, it took our breath away. Um, the opportunity to work with women who cared about equity across industries in America, everything from, of course, Hollywood to finance to law to advertising, um, and really to be part of an important movement that was addressing how our workplaces um, treat women, how women advance, how they're paid, and the culture that they work in. And so um, it was a little bit of a diversion from equity quotient for a little over a year, um, but it was it was really important work, and we're really excited um, that we were able to hire a full-time executive director, Dr. Lauren Powell, who took over in January of this year, 2020. Um, and so, so yeah, then we were able to then pivot back to equity quotient and then COVID happened, but we're still going and uh, 
We have two new clients we're really excited to launch with and see if we can help them better understand how to create more equity in their workplace. Can you talk a little bit more about the goals of of the companies and um, kind of what um, you hope to achieve maybe in like the next year or maybe even in the next five years? Yeah. So I think, you know, Time's Up Healthcare is, um, it's a 501c3, meaning it's a nonprofit and it's part of the umbrella organization of Time's Up Now. And so our goals with Time's Up Healthcare are really about advocacy and letting women, no matter what area of the healthcare system they work in, be they someone working in the cafeteria or in environmental services, be they a phlebotomist, a nurse, a doctor, or even a chief nursing officer or chief medical officer. The idea that all women deserve a a place to go to work that is safe and that has a zero tolerance for sexual discrimination, sexual harassment. Um, and, And so advocacy, I would say, is probably the most important part of what we try to do at Time's Up Healthcare. And for Equity Quotient, you know, we are an equity analytics company. So we designed a survey tool that allows healthcare organizations to measure the state of equity, as it were, in their healthcare organization. And we divided our um, platform up into five domains. Um, So safety, respect, value, hiring, pay, promotion, and overall culture. And what we provide to an organization is the ability to really understand and apprehend what are the pain points for people in that organization. And then we devise um, a set of recommendations so that they can get to where they want to be. I think um, as we saw over the summer, a lot of people, a lot of health organizations put out statements saying that health equity and Black Lives Matter saying that, you know, Uh, the adverse outcomes that we've seen for people of color, specifically black Americans in regards to COVID, you know, caught their attention and they wanted to place more effort on having an equitable healthcare system, be that in their workforce or be that in how they cared for patients. And what Dr. Chu and I argue is that um, equity doesn't happen with a statement. Um, It doesn't happen with an implicit bias training course. It doesn't happen with a sexual harassment training video. It happens with concerted, deep work over time that takes actually the entire organization's commitment to it, but most of all, leadership's commitment to it. I think that a lot of people are under the understanding that if a workforce comes together and demands that there be greater attention to equity within an organization, that that change can happen. Um, I don't want to discount discount grassroots efforts, but in order for real change to happen, it has to fundamentally have 100% buy-in from leadership. A statistic that I like to share is that um, when gender equity programs have the participation and the buy-in from men, they are 96% effective at moving the needle on equity in the organization. When men are not at the table and not committed to gender equity, those programs are effective only 30% of the time. When you look at who 
has the levers of power in healthcare. When you look at who makes decisions regarding resources, when you look at who makes decisions regarding hiring, those are the people that have to not only say they're committed to equity, but they have to put the grit, the time, the resources, and the true commitment to equity. Um, and what Esther and I say is, you know, we wouldn't transfuse a patient without a pre and post CBC. Why should organizations who want to improve equity not do a pre and post analysis of whether or not their efforts are actually performing as intended, which is to say, if you're going to spend thousands of dollars training your workforce on implicit bias, make sure that it's actually improving the workplace for your for for your employees. Um, and if it's not, that's important information too, because that means you need to pivot. You need to do something else. But not having the ability to measure your workforce culture is a misstep. When the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine came out with their uh, report in 2018, the report showing that 50% of medical students experienced sexual harassment during their four years of medical school training, one of the seven steps that they recommended for amelioration of this pervasive problem in medicine was to track and measure outcomes. Outcome analysis is something that is so integral to how we perform as doctors and clinicians. Why we haven't approached equity with the same rigor and resources is a really good question. And it speaks to the way in which um, you know, we we haven't used data to 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 drive change on equity. I always recommend tie leadership compensation to equity metrics. If you're if you're serious about creating a more equitable healthcare uh, environment for your patients and for your your workforce, tie your compensation to moving the needle and making your workplace more equitable. Can you Tie, explain that a little bit more, like what yeah, that means? Yeah, so that, that means um, set quotas. <laughs> Everyone has an anathema, oftentimes, reaction to the idea of a quota, but quotas actually work. There's a reason that the state of California, even though it encouraged for years on end, publicly held corporations and privately held corporations to uh, have more women and have more than minorities on their boards, there wasn't change. The moral imperative for equity is weak, which is to say most people give lip service or symbolic compliance to it, but they aren't actually interested in doing the work. So when the state of California passed that law, which went into effect January 1st, 2019, it required that uh, companies that had at least five people on their board of directors, at least one of those persons had to be a woman. And if the board was six members, they had to have two. And if it was seven, they had to have three. So they said, here are the numbers. And they faced fines if they didn't, if they didn't follow, follow that law. So holding ourselves to <laughs> quotas and metrics is not a bad thing. I I think that, I mean, I have a series of recommendations that, that I think about for leadership. A really important one also is evaluate the evaluation. So 
you know, medical students and residents and fellows, they're used to these 360 degree evaluations of their work and healthcare. The problem is, is that if you haven't evaluated your evaluation to make sure that bias isn't baked into the evaluation, you will oftentimes get out the bias that you put in, right? So lots of studies have shown the most famous of one, the most famous one of which is the orchestra one, right? Where um, there weren't enough women or there weren't very many women in orchestras around the world. And so they started doing blind auditions so that they put a curtain up and the, um, the panel that was uh, interviewing the, the, the potential candidates couldn't see the gender of the person playing the instrument. And when that happened, the number of women in these large, you know, famous philharmonics went up rapidly and markedly. You know, there's lots of studies showing that, you know, John versus Jane or uh, names that connote identification of a nationality or a race or an ethnicity have bias attached to them when people um, are interviewing them or considering them for promotion. So evaluate your evaluation, blind your hiring, make sure that your bias and the bias of your colleagues who are responsible for these important decisions is not baked into the equation. I've got lots of other recommendations, but I feel like I should give you a chance to speak as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I definitely want to explore that a little bit more because I think this is fascinating. And I also think that this is something that I think is something that the Women's Health Collaborative is trying to also embrace, right? So I, I wanted to ask too, you know, for people who are early in their careers, right, for fellows, residents, medical students, even early attendings who are interested in something like this, how can they get involved? Um, What are the steps in hopefully getting involved in something like this? Yeah, well, um, when you say something like this, do you mean helping to create uh, a better better workplaces, more equitable workplaces, or uh, helping people who have uh, suffered sexual harassment in medicine? Uh, what, what exactly are you thinking of? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, to approach this in a more systemic way, right? Because I think all of us have this sense of, well, we want things to be better, but how do I approach this in a systemic way, just as you have, where um, you can potentially approach the leadership team or even do this top-down effect of trying to implement change in a way that um, actually goes to the institution instead of from, like you said, kind of a grassroots movement. Yeah. Well, I think it's really hard to, um, it's really hard to do anything without data, um, otherwise known as receipts. (laughs) And so, um, you know, sometimes collecting those receipts means, um, it means doing a survey like what Equity Quotient does. Um, Sometimes it might mean doing a pay audit. Um, you know, I, I find that OBGYN actually is behind our EM and IM colleagues when it comes to collecting good data on, uh, race and gender within our training programs. So, um, emergency medicine is probably, uh, has the statistics that I know the best, but, you know, they have, uh, studies showing that when emergency medicine residents are evaluated uh, by their attendings, the male residents in one study were evaluated 
based on proficiencies such that they were over three months ahead of the female cohort in the same residency in terms of of proficiency. So if you and I are going to find it really hard to believe that the entire female cohort um, was actually three months behind the male cohort. Um, when we look at information like that, we say, evaluate the evaluation. What is going into that evaluation that would create such a marked disparity across gender? The, the one really good study in obstetrics and gynecology was one where nurses were evaluating residents uh, on labor and delivery. And what they found was that uh, the nurses evaluated PG-1 and PG-2 women more harshly than their male cohorts. A study that I did uh, of physicians' perception of OBGYN treatment by nurses on labor and delivery showed that um, overwhelmingly 85% of my 380 some respondents thought that it was really important for female OBGYNs to have a nice and friendly demeanor on labor and delivery. The same qualities that we look for in terms of, of, of female gendered qualities were expected of women, but not of men. So men were able to give orders without saying please and thank you. And interestingly, that study, my study also showed that male OBGYNs were more likely to have their orders placed for them by nurses than were their female uh, colleagues. Um, of course, women are more likely to be called by their first name, I think what, what many women in medicine, and especially OBGYN will tell you, is that women have to deliver the same patient outcomes, the same evidence-based practice, the same stellar uh, clinical acumen, while making sure that everyone feels good. Doing all of that, but serving a plate of cookies at the same time to show that you're warm and friendly and approachable um, <laughs> uh, you know, you could call it the, the teddy bear index, you could call it the cookie index, whatever it is, it's, you know, it's that our, our professional abilities, our clinical abilities, our decision-making abilities, um, <laughs> unless they're delivered in a tone, which is something that women get policed for all the time in medicine, unless we deliver it with a tone that is um, appealing to those whom we're speaking to, we are oftentimes reprimanded. And, and I'm, and I'm our- laughing and chuckling because, <laughs> you know, I, I think that this is definitely something that I personally have experienced. And I think that a lot of my female colleagues have also experienced, right? Um, and I think, you know, the fact that you're actually saying this out loud is is something that is very appreciated because I feel like for us, definitely it was something that was murmured behind closed doors and certainly not something that we felt comfortable ever saying out loud. Yeah, yeah. So to answer your question, um, you know, do some research, get some data, because I think that um, I don't, medicine hasn't changed uh, enough. And I, gr- I grant you that likely whatever research question you ask, you'll have statistically significant data to report back. So you'll not only have a paper, but you'll also start a movement within your organization. Uh, that's, that's great. Um, so it sounds like what we can do as people coming up into OBGYN is to kind of ask questions of our institutions. Yeah. 
So this is really great. I'm really glad that we were able to talk about this and kind of how you got involved. I, I was hoping to shift the tone a little bit more to yeah. some more personal things, if that's okay. And so some things that I've been asking everybody is, you know, we as people who are coming up in women's health, for us, it seems like, oh my goodness, how have um, these others who have come before us achieved what they have achieved? And it seems like, you know, whether it's true or not that um, people who are chairs or whatever are unapproachable simply because they've done all of these amazing things. Um, so I always just want to ask people, you know, what are things that you do in your life to keep you grounded so that make you feel more human at the end of the day and also make it so that, you know, you can unwind at the end of the day? Oh, that's a really good question because I don't really unwind. <laughs> 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 I'll be honest with you. Um, on my walk, I do. Um, I do take a long walk with my daughter at the at like nine thirty at night usually. And she said to me last night, she said, "Mom, I look at you, how you work all day and all night into the evening, and I think to myself, I hope I don't have to do that." <laughs> um, but I'll be honest, you know, what, my answer to her was that I actually really love all of the things that I'm doing. Do I wish that I was able to put the computer away at 6 p.m. and uh, have dinner and read a book? Oh, yeah, that sounds heavenly. But as is often the case, you know, there are a lot of projects that I'm working on simultaneously and I love them all so much that it is hard. It is hard to step away. If I do, I do get up early and I do exercise and that's probably um, the thing that, that gives me, you know, it centers me and gives me peace and solace, but I'm very, very excited to, to be working on all the projects that I'm working on. I think it's an amazing opportunity to make real change at a time when there, there is opportunity for change. So yeah, I, I, I'm not a, I mean, I don't really cook. I, (laughs) I do like to have long conversations with my kids. Other than that, it's mostly work and then a little bit of maybe a little bit of TV or and hopefully a book. I did finish a novel recently, so I was really excited about that. What did you just read? I just read uh, Vanishing Twin. Oh, okay. Um, have you heard about it? No, I haven't, but it sounds very OBGYN related. <laughs> I know, it's, and it's actually not. It's actually not. It's about these two women and their twins, and they um, they move to New Orleans, and then one twin kind of disappears. The other twin doesn't know where she is uh, for years and years. So anyway, I will give the plot away, um, but it's really well written. And I actually think it would make a great movie and it Mm -hmm. might even win some awards. Um, But I do always congratulate myself and I feel very proud when I finish a book. The book I read before that was the uh, cast by uh, Wilkerson. And I, I can't recommend that book highly enough. It's so so good. And it had so many really uh, salient uh, take-home messages regarding um, our American history that Mm -hmm. needs someone like Wilkerson to put her brilliant uh, analysis towards so that we can better understand who we are as a people. Um, And then just in our last couple of minutes here, um, Dr. Mandis, any personal goals that you have set for yourself this year? (laughs) Um, Well, uh, in addition to being a good OBGYN who, you know, uh, every time I go to work and, you know, 
think about making sure that I'm practicing evidence-based medicine and, you know, that I make good clinical decisions. Um, my other goals are pretty, um, pretty basic. I'd love to see equity quotient grow. Um, Esther and I, uh, think we have a great solution and we hope uh, we can engage more people conversation about equity analytics. Um, I also created a really great product with Dr. Uh, Dunsmore Sue uh, and she and I partner and we write content for uh, OBG Project, which is an online resource for OBGYNs. Um, and we have lots of, of great articles coming out. We're going to start a, new, a weekly newsletter this Sunday, uh, giving our subscribers um, a, a, a new chapter that we've written in addition to a key article in OBGYN that we think um, might give you pause or might give you reason to, to consider, you know, the way you've done things or that just adds in a significant way to, to the literature. Um, what we love about OBG Project is that it can feel overwhelming to read every email that ACOG sends out every day, read your gray and your green from front to back. Um, sometimes it's nice to have someone say, you know, of all the articles that I perused this last week or this last month, this is the article that stands out to me. Um, so in addition to making sure that if ACOG comes out with a new practice bulletin, you know, we stay up to date in that, uh, making sure that if there's a new study that might possibly change your practice or at least pause, make you pause and think, um, you know, we think that's, that's kind of exciting. Yeah, as an OBG first uh, subscriber, I am very excited about that. <laughs> yeah, so so that's like super passion project, right? Because um, it's really fun for Rebecca and I, and we actually really enjoy, or at least I do. I love to take a subject and then shrink wrap it or uh, distill it down to to the most essential parts of. of whatever this subject is, whether it's cervical insufficiency um, or postpartum hemorrhage, um, and to give practicing OBGYNs exactly the tools they need, exactly the algorithms they were looking for, the doses, um, the uh, odds ratios, the relative risks, all the things that they can just turn to immediately. Um, we've got so much information out on the internet, but we, we definitely at times, especially in the middle of the night, right? Um, when you're in a clinical situation and you're like, um, you know, you're trying to, to, to navigate what, what the right next step is. It's really wonderful to have someone who has, has sort of distilled it for you. Obviously you're going to apply whatever, uh, patient, um, situation, you know, you are making decisions for, um, but just to have, the evidence kind of laid out clearly for you. I think it can be really helpful, or at least it is for me. That's how I use it in the moment. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have that. And then we have OB Mom Group, which is the Facebook group of over uh, 4,700 OBGYNs that um, I help admin. Kind of exciting. We're going to um, start a scholarship. So um, we typically raise on average around $75,000 every year. We are also a 501c3. And um, with the passing of Adelaide in Houston, uh, we decided that we wanted to create a scholarship. Um, not quite sure yet if it's going to be targeted for medical students interested in going into OBGYN or supporting residents and fellows who are already in OBGYN. It will be 
targeted towards one or both of those two categories um, to provide uh, support for people in our field. So really, really excited about that too. That's amazing. I've heard a lot about this group. Unfortunately, I'm not a mom, so I've not been invited to this group. <laughs> so I am a little jealous whenever I hear about my colleagues talking about this group. Uh, well, hopefully soon. If that's in your path, then hopefully yeah. soon. <laughs> All right. Well, Dr. Bandis, thank you so much again for coming onto this podcast with me um, and answering my questions. I'm definitely very, very interested to see um, what you'll be doing in this next year and also, um, you know, what's going to be happening with Equity Quotient and Times of Healthcare as well. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was a great opportunity to have some conversation about my favorite topics. <laughs> Thank you again. And thank you listeners um, for listening to this podcast. Once again, we are No Capes Needed, the official podcast of the Women's Health Collaborative. If you enjoy this podcast, go ahead and go onto your favorite podcatcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us on Twitter at Women's HC and also find us online at womenshealthcollaborative.org. 